we're in First Samuel chapter 2, and man, I wish I would have gotten further, but it is the way it is. We're going to make an attempt to complete chapter 4 tonight. We'll see. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of narrative and things that we can roll through for sure, but I'm telling you, we were in Bible college this morning, and I'm probably the only one who thinks this, and here's why, because I'm the teacher. But it's like, I wish we had seven hours. Well, that's the number of man. I'm going to go with seven. I wish we had seven hours to just hang out and talk and the classes engage in. Like, it's always this way. We, like one verse, it takes us 45 minutes to digest just one verse. Because of the riches and the, the depth of Scripture so deep and there's so much to it. I wish we had that kind of time and that we had like caffeine vein, you know, and just like we could just go for it, you know. But I understand that's not the way it is. I ate food tonight, and I'm telling you, I went like, like I slowed down after eating food. So I'm sitting here like, Lord, help me, please. <clears throat> but this is God's word. This is good. This is why we don't ever finish, because I take forever talking about things like this. Let's look at verse, we'll start in verse 18, but just to keep, catch us up to speed, there was Elkanah. If you guys remember, we're going to talk about parenting tonight again. It just seems so relevant to where we're at in Scripture, and it's so encouraging. I hope you guys are encouraged by it. Well, we'll be in chapter 4. Yeah, we're in chapter 2 right now. We'll start in verse 18. But leading up to this, you have Elkanah, and he was in those rhythms of life, taking his family where his family needed to be in terms of worshiping. We discussed what that looks like. The beauty of Hannah as a mom dedicating her children unto the Lord holding fast to them until you guys check it out. We're going to talk about it today until it was time to release them. Now she had to do it a little quicker than most of us will, like around three years old. But there's something beautiful in that picture of Hannah loving and caring for and watching over her kid and then releasing and dedicating them to the Lord. For those of you who are in here who have had children who have done that, maybe you did it well, maybe you didn't. We don't want to talk about regrets. But I know that you've been there and you've done that. You know what it's like to raise them, to release them. And there's many parents in here who are still walking in that season. Some who have released and have some coming up. And then there's people like me. I have yet to do that. You know, I've got 16 down to 7, 8 in 3 days. But and it's like, man, it's just a new season for us. But God's word will speak into it. And I think it'll be healthy. We get all the way up here. Hannah spoke this beautiful, really a psalm, doesn't it? It just reads like a psalm. So beautiful, so sweet that her heart would say this. And please keep in mind the context that she's saying this in. I'm going to reference this several times tonight with judges, that everybody did what was right in their own sight. And yet here you have this, this lady Hannah who is in tune with the Lord. And she knows him. That's the thing. Because remember Eli's sons? They were corrupt. They were sons of Belial, sons of wickedness, worthlessness. And there in verse 12 of chapter 2, they did not know the Lord, and it was to their detriment. Hannah knew the Lord, and you hear that coming out of her life, don't you? And I would love to see that in, among us as the Lord works and moves, that when you guys speak in a world that does whatever they want, it's like, man, they know the Lord. You guys know who the Lord is. It's evident in the way you speak. It's evident in the way that you act and walk things out, not because you're trying to impress, but just because it's an overflow of your life because you're filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> and so that brings us up to verse 18. Well, 17 is pretty important. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, 
for the men aboard the offering of the Lord. What happened? Remember, they were taking that flesh hook and they were stabbing it into the, uh, the meat and they were pulling out whatever they could get. Instead of offering to God first and doing it the way that God had prescribed it, they took matters into their own hands. And what happened was that parts of the people of Israel started to despise the offering of the Lord because of the way that the priests were behaving and acting. This is serious stuff, isn't it? This is serious stuff. We have to be so careful how we act. We'll talk about it later. I think that there's something here. Verses 18 through 28, let's look at it. But Samuel ministered before the Lord. Remember, juxtaposed to what we just read. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go their way and go home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. This is the good mom. And what I think you can see here is she's doing whatever she can and exercising any influence that she can because she loves her kids so much. For those of you who are moms, imagine what it would have been like for you sitting at home. I don't know. Did they knit? Is, do you knit a, a linen ephod? She made it. So whatever you do to make a linen ephod, get online and order from Amazon is what I would do. <laughs> sitting there praying through it, right? Thinking about, I mean, remember the song she sang. She knew the Lord. Don't forget that. Her heart was in tune with the Lord. I really believe that. And she's sitting there thinking about her son that she desperately wanted. And yet she's given him to the Lord. And so she's praying. Her heart's probably grieving, don't you think? Her heart would grieve. And yet she's trying to be faithful to the Lord. Just a really sweet picture of a mom loving her kids, doing whatever you can do to exert influence into your kids' lives when their hearts perhaps are far from you. There are still things that you can do. Samuel was far away, not because his heart was away from it, but so to speak, right? You can think about it like that. Their heart is far from you, but you can still do things to influence. You can still pray. You can still send notes and call and text and talk to them and do the best you can. Sometimes it's only so much you can do. But just as an, an encouragement to you, you see Hannah doing whatever she could to love her kid, even though he was far away. And I want to encourage you with that. If you don't mind, it's an obvious verse, but I really felt like it'd be good to encourage you. Go to Galatians chapter 6. It will make sense. And really, the whole of the... There's not really a message, so to speak. We're just traveling through God's Word, and there are things to highlight and, and you know, zoom into. But this is it right here, I feel like, in so many ways. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you a man sows, that's what he's going to also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap, uh, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And then verse 9 particularly, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. And I think you see that happen right before your very eyes. She didn't grow weary in it. She continued year after year, guessing how big he would be. There's a particular age in which the kids start to really grow. I had an Aunt Betty. Anybody else have an Aunt Betty? A great Aunt Betty. Anybody else have a great Aunt Betty where come, she lived in California. 
Bear in mind that she was my grandpa's sister. That's what made her my great aunt. I know. Okay. But my grandpa had 16 kids. My, my grandma and grandpa had 16 kids. And so then you got Aunt Betty, who wasn't all there anyway. She's in California sending all these presents for the great-grandkids. I don't know how she did it. It was one of those things where like half the great-grandkids would get stuff, the other half just like she didn't even know they existed, right? <laughs> you guys, it was so those commercials where we would get little knitted sweatshirts that would have fit us five years ago, like the last time she saw us. It's like she forgot that time passed, and Aunt Betty, we would hold it up. We were, so as like all of us cousins, we weren't particularly excited to open her presents, but we were. <laughs> I guess she never knew what you were going to get, and I, you, I'm really not making this up. It was like, oh, okay, you know, and you'd have to smile, and thanks, Aunt Betty. Maybe Hannah did that. I don't know. But you know how it is. She's got to hit, sit there and think, how big is he now? I don't know. She doesn't see him. Anyway, she's just thinking about him and loving him. Don't grow weary in doing good, right? Knowing that you will reap, but don't lose heart. So moms out there, if I could speak to you, don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep influencing uh, in that gentle way that you do, praying over them and so on. This next section deals with Eli. It's a prophecy against Eli. And it gets gnarly. We're going to talk about Eli's sons and what went on there. It's, it's a little graphic to a degree. But here's the deal. And if I could encourage you in maybe shifting gears to the, to the men, but this is so true for, for the ladies as well, is it's just this concept that you must be involved in your kids' lives, grandkids' lives, people that you have influence over and so maybe that's just the thing to encourage you. We're going to have a, a, a good and lengthy section on parenting. I just is where the Lord had me, at least. And uh, grandparenting, I think it totally applies. But you must be involved. You have to be involved. We'll find out why. Look at verse 22. Eli was very old, somewhere around 98. We'll get to that. And he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel. Notice, says, how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They weren't just sharing a hammock, just to be clear, okay? And so he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Now listen, that was true at the time. I want to make it very clear Jesus intercedes on our behalf now. Just so you know, that the question Eli asks is Jesus. If you have him, he always lives to make intercession on our behalf. That's what he's doing right now. So rejoice that we're not living in these, this day and age. Nevertheless, listen to this, his sons did not heed the voice of their father. Notice it says the Lord desired to kill them. We'll talk about that. The child Samuel, though, again, contrast, grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. This prophecy about Eli is coming. You look at verse 23. What are his sons doing? They're taking the sacrifices from the people. They're causing the nation of Israel to disdain the, the worship practices of, of the nation of Israel. And they're doing it because they want to like satisfy their flesh. They're just 
they're eating more than they need. And you're going to find out that Eli did not skip any meals, okay? There's something going on there where the flesh dictated a lot of stuff that was going on in this family. And I don't, so it would seem, right? We, you guys read it with me. Eli had no idea. He's like, wait a second, what my sons are doing, what? It's like, Eli, you're sitting at the tabernacle half the time. Where are you at? How can you become so disconnected from your own children and their doings? I think that he was advanced in years, and they were probably just taking on the more of the job and the ministry of it. But he was so disconnected from them, he had no idea that this kind of wickedness was going on right there at the door of the tabernacle. He's like, what is this that I hear? He didn't even know. At this point in time, there has to be some kind of intervention. What did Eli do? He just asked them a question. Why you guys? Why are you guys doing this? That is irrelevant at this point in time. I don't care why you did it. What you're doing is wrong and evil. It needs to be dealt with. You have to be involved. You have to be in your kids' lives and invested in them. It's hard, isn't it? From the very first ages of my kids... It's like, you guys, there's coming a time when you will not want to talk to me. And you're going to be like wrestling with, and I'm like, don't give in. Don't let the world do this to you guys. Stay strong in a relationship. And so here's what's cool is we serve a God who redeems. And so here's what's fun is that if we're in a situation where things aren't great, you guys check this out, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, or just anybody else, the Lord can fix these things. And as we give it to him and say, you know, like you have to do an inventory perhaps. And it's like, man, I'm not doing as I ought. And listen, I stand before you now and be like, I've got work to do. Time catches up and you're like, whoa, like it goes fast and just newness of like life and everything. It's like, man, I got to make sure that I'm digging in with my kids and that I know them. Not that we just coexist in a house together, because that's certainly a very easy thing to do with the pace of life and all the sports and the things that's going on, it's easy just to coexist. To have maybe two minutes of FaceTime a night, like that's not going to work. It won't. I want to continue to be an influence in their life. My wife as well. She does much better than I do, to be honest with you. She's really intentional. I'm learning and growing, and I'm, con- I'm convicted by God's word as I see this. Dads, if you allow your kids to do whatever, this is what happens. You've got to be involved. You got to fight for it. I'm not suggesting in any way that you drive them because that's what the enemy does. He drives. Jesus leads. He's patient. He's gentle. He influences. He inspires. I want to do that. I don't want to force. You're going to sit down with me and you're going to talk to me. (laughs) Okay, have fun with that. That's not going to work. Maybe sometimes you need to. But, oh, to live in such a way and to pray in such a way that God would do this work in your kids' hearts, your grandkids' hearts. Because grandparents, you have tremendous influence. Don't ever think uh, small, don't ever think little of it. How do you go about this? You guys, you pray. Lord, would you please open up doors for this? Please open up doors. Encouraging you guys. Proverbs 27. You guys turn there. It might be on the screen. I know Brett was doing that stuff, but. It is, but I just like to see it too. Proverbs 27, 23. Sometimes you might like to underline stuff in your Bible. This is a good one. It says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. 
It goes on, for riches aren't forever, nor does the crown endure to all generations. When a haze is removed, the tender grass shows itself, the herbs of the mountain are gathered in. Guess what? The lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. And you'll have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. All of that comes from verse 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. There's a heritage that you have when you take care of and when you parent your kids well and your grandkids well. <clears throat> Eli did not know the state of his flock. Did you guys catch that? He's like, wait, you're doing what? With who? You can't do that. Eli didn't know. Something happened, man. He missed it, didn't he? Eli's legacy is strange. He raised Samuel, and I think that's about like a good job, Eli. But man, he blew it as a dad. So Lord help, yeah, there's never desperation, there's never disparity, there's only hope in Jesus Christ that as we turn to him and cry out to him, he will redeem you guys, believe it, he will redeem. It might take time, right, but we, we lean into it and trust that God will work. He has it, okay, so that brings us to then, let's look at when he says, you make, my Lord, you make the Lord's people transgress, and how serious this might be. Let's look at the scriptures as it relates to this. Go to Malachi chapter 2. And so this is right by the New Testament. So it's the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew chapter 2. It says, For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge. Now listen, we're talking about Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and really Eli as well. For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law from his mouth, from the priest's mouth. That was his job. For he's a messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Eli, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, he says, therefore, I made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways and have shown partiality in the law. Not specifically talking about Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, but a very similar situation where the seriousness and the sobriety of like, man, when you guys engage in ministry, it's not a joke. And how we impact and how we handle different people, like it's serious. Jesus in Matthew 23, 13, he talks about if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, man, it'd be better you had a millstone thrown around. Oh, no, wrong one. I'll get to that later. <laughs> that's the one. There's That's the verse. That's fine. Yeah, that's actually the one i just memorized the wrong one james 3 1 says my brethren let not many of you become teachers knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment what eli and hophni and phineas had done is they had taken advantage of people and they had lorded over them and they had forced their will upon them in such a way that that literally made them like well they, they could eat anything they want as much as they want to the detriment of the other people like oh that's messed up that's not how God works, just so you know. Like we, and you guys as Christians, we serve people. Like if that means we go last and have nothing, then guess what that means? It means we go last and have nothing. Whereas here, it's flip-flopped. They're not modeling the good shepherd in any way, are they? And yet we have Jesus as his perfect example of the one who will go and he will give of himself on our behalf. That's what we have modeled into us. They did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Just to encourage you here, this is because of judgment. 
It's not like Eli and, or Hophni and Phinehas were like, God, please forgive us, and they were repentant. If that were the case, you know what God would have done? I believe he would have forgiven them. They weren't repentant. They did not heed the voice of their father, and so judgment's going to come, and that's what's going to happen. Judgment will come, and we're going to read about it here in a moment. They, God saw they were corrupt men, and he desired to judge them. What's fun, David Guzik had this incredible message about the justice of God. And in it, he dealt with this like fascinating, well, I mean, there's that section in Numbers where God <laughs> like wipes out an entire section of people, including like the kids and so on. Like it's an intense section. It's one of those sections you hope you never have to teach. And, but you, he comes to this place and he just, he said it like this. He says, God's jurisdiction is everywhere and limitless. And his judgment is righteous. And I was like, yeah, there you go. That's how you teach that section. God's jurisdiction reaches everywhere and every person. And he has that right as God Almighty to place a judgment on anyone. He knows their hearts. He sees them. We have a hard time with it. I don't have that kind of jurisdiction, but he does, you know. You see that here. Um, okay, we didn't get to that. All right, so look at 27. Then a man of God came to Eli and said, Thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to your father when they were in Egypt in the house of Pharaoh? Um, he's referring to Aaron at this point in time. Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to let my priests to offer upon my altar to burn incense to wear the ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father, that's Aaron, all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? A great description of what the priests did, by the way. Verse 29, please take note who he's talking to. The man of God isn't talking to Hophni and Phinehas. He's talking to Eli, who was responsible for his son's behavior to a degree, okay? He's speaking to Eli. There was a responsibility he had. Again, we talked about this, get involved. We have this thing that God asks, be diligent to know the state of your flocks, and he didn't. And so the man of God comes to Eli. Were Hophni and Phinehas responsible for their own sin? Their of course. You'll find out here in a second. But check out what's going on with Eli. Like God came against Eli because of his sin and not taking care of his kids as he ought to have and not knowing what was going on. Did I not give the house? And so there's 29. Look at 29. Sorry. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I commanded in my dwelling place? And notice this. You honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of, the is, of, the, of Israel, my people. Ooh, now we get the full story, right? Oh man, God sees the full story. The priests were like, this is what we've done forever, guys. Flesh hook, here we go. Ladies, come over here. You know, all that's, that's what we're doing now. That's what Eli and Hophni were doing. And sorry, Hophni and Phinehas were doing. But all of a sudden now we get this picture where God sees into the hearts of people. It can be kind of scary. We praise the Lord for Jesus who cleanses us. But here he says, oh, Eli, you honor your sons more than me. You were too afraid probably to, to say something and to, to stop them because you were benefiting from the actions that they were doing. You were benefiting from that flesh hook going in. Look at Eli, man. The guy can hardly move. We'll get to it in a second. But God calls him out. I mean, straight up, he says, you're getting fat off the people. Isn't that awful? Isn't that so 
backwards and different from anything you've ever seen in Jesus? Benefiting from the people? No, man, he gives himself. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Isn't that what God does? Yeah, man. And so I look at that and I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, help me walk in this way. The flesh wants to take and take advantage of people. It's just not the way of God. It's not the way of Jesus. He came down and condescended and became one of us. He let go of all that was in heaven and he became us so that he could die on a cross. For our sake, he gave and he gave up so much. All right, so then it's like, Lord Jesus, as I see that modeled in, G in, in the Lord, right? I see that modeled in the Lord. Would you do that work in me? As you draw near to the Lord, you know what he's going to do? He's going to make you like him. What do we have to do? Know him. Remember we talked about abide in him. I can do nothing apart from abiding in him. You guys know that. You see the heart. Now you honor your sons more than me. You make yourself fat with the best of the offerings for the people. Eli is responsible. If I can encourage you with this, I'm going to go through a couple things. I am my kids' parents. I am not their friends. I'm not their friend. Do I want to have a friendly relationship? I do, and so I hope you understand what I mean, but I am not my kids' friends. You, parents, you're not your kids' friends, and if you are, can I just beg you to pay attention for a second? That does not mean we share in life together and that we have awesome and intimate fellowship with one another. We should. Remember, be involved in your kids' lives. So what I want to do real quick, is I, this is helpful for me as a young parent, and I just wanted to share this, and for depending on where you're at in the stages, it might be helpful. But what is a loose description of the four stages of parenting that you might find yourself in? I found it. I, I think it's helpful to consider. Bear in mind for a moment, these are loose, okay? I'll offer you an age number just for fun, but it varies. Just so you know, it varies. Really probably up until they're 18 plus when they're coming adult, and it's like stage one. It's called, we'll call it loving discipleship. I got this from an article, just so you know, it's not me at all. Loving discipleship up to maybe age five. So think about this with your own kids and just what this might look like. The purpose of this, the discipline stage, is to teach that actions have consequences, both good and bad. And so you're instilling within your kids at an early age that actions have consequences. I literally had this conversation with one of my kids yesterday up in the room, and I had to deal out some damage, and we'll be honest with you, and it's like, the comeback was, it's not going to make a difference, <laughs> it's like, well, it will, but, but it's like, that's fine, I just need you to connect that there are consequences for your actions, and this is one of them, right, well, they didn't agree, <laughs> but that's okay, there are consequences. So you're disciplining your kids. You're trying to help them understand that when you make this decision, this is going to happen. It's, you're setting them up for the other stages of parenting. Again, it's loose. Scripture that I think is worthwhile. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Isn't that so gracious? I feel like Hebrews here is really gracious. I'm just doing the best I can. <laughs> Hopefully after tonight, we've learned something. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. You can ask my kid. It's painful. But afterward, there'll be a peaceable harvest of right living for those who've been trained by it. And that starts right now, doesn't it? With these kids. Zero to five, know this, man. You've got to be disciplined. 
in how you discipline them. Consistent. Day in, day out, consistent. You and your wife have got to get together and say, they're not going to win. We're not going to let them win. If that means I have to get up and go upstairs 500 times a night, then I'm going to get in shape. (laughs) It's time to get in shape. And I remember that. You guys know what it's like. You're laying on the couch. It's finally time for bed. And they're not obeying. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you just want to yell. Like, go to bed. But it's like, I have to go and deal with this. Or I'll do this for the rest of my life if I don't deal with it now, right? And so you have to deal with it then. And you have to get up off the couch and go upstairs and have a nice little time with them. And then you go downstairs. And I don't know about you, but, like, we just did not make particularly compliant kids and so it's like, whew. That's how you stay in shape, though, I suppose. But I understand the, like, the struggle is to you know, deal with it promptly, discipline promptly, di- discipline consistently. And I'm telling you, man, remember we just read it in Scripture, don't lose heart. You will reap good fruit. Will you be perfect? Nope. But the Lord does honor con- that that consistency and just, I'm telling you, man, you get to your wife, you, you and your wife get together and say, they're not going to win. <laughs> It'll bring you two together in a really healthy way. All right. Stage true. So you have loving discipline. Stage two, five to 12 is what this is saying, is, is the idea of training. So you have discipline and now you've got some training happening. Kids have learned what is right and wrong, but now they're going to school. They're seeing how other kids act. We become more of a trainer. We teach our kids how to interact in a world, but not losing sight of the values that they've been taught at home. The purpose of this training is to nurture a love for God and others in in the hearts of our kids. Not just robots, but now they're kind of understanding some things. I'm training them. They're learning what it looks like, and they're learning what it means. We apply consequences in the discipline stage. They learn the natural consequences of their choices, right? In this idea of training. We apply the consequences in the discipline stage. In the training stage, they're starting to realize, oh, these are some consequences that I didn't realize would happen. I'm not the one doing it. They're just living out these consequences, but I'm there to guide them. I'm there to take care of them. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And there are times where we can exasperate. I've done it. I am like an unspiritual gift that I have is knowing exactly what to say to really bug my family. And I can just say something or look a certain way, man, and I am under their skin. I'm really good about it with my wife. Again, it's an unspiritual gift. And I'm just really good at it. But amen, brother. We need to pray. Lord help us. But, but yeah, amen. The thing I've learned is that exasperates them. And I am now responsible for the way they're acting to a degree. Bear with me. But they're responding because I went like this and I caused them to respond. Listen, a lot of that's on me. And that's where this guy Eli comes in and and like God deals with Eli, not his sons. And he's going to deal with his sons. But God deals with Eli. Eli, were you disciplining your kids when they were younger? What were you doing? Were you training up your kids as they got older? Were you training them and helping them understand, you know, do this, do this? The third stage is coaching. In this stage, kids are forming their own identity and how they want peers to perceive them. This is that awkward stage in many ways. I was hanging out. Never mind. I'm going to move forward here. 
they desire more independence from mom and dad. It's a natural part of growing and moving towards independence. This is a good thing, by the way. If the first two stages, so to speak, were done well and consistently in the Lord and hanging out with him, these stages, guess what? They become a little easier. Not easy, maybe easier than if you blew it the first couple stages. Just so you know, I hope everybody knows God redeems, okay? So nothing needs to be super heavy. You don't want to be like, oh, I've blown it and there's no hope. Oh, there is hope. Just a lot of work. The purpose of the coaching stage is to release your kids to establish their own biblical convictions. So we're just watching from the side. What's a coach do? They're watching from the side. Ooh, uh, no, don't do that. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. You're a little bit less involved in that way, okay? I know we're talking about be involved, but you know what a coach does versus a trainer. A trainer's right there with you, showing you how to do the movement and so on. You're like right there beside you. A coach is back here. They're watching. Ah, so we worked on a practice. Why did you do that? Why did you make that decision? We've talked about this for years. You don't ever say that to that person or whatever the situation is. You're coaching them, helping them understand that there, there are consequences, but they need to develop biblical convictions, and you watch them do that. Not your convictions, biblical convictions, which are probably yours. I understand that. You only have a few years to transfer your values and the biblical understanding that while your kids live under the roof. They still need input from you. Don't quit like dig in hard for that kind of investment. We are not getting very far in scripture. <laughs> last, the last stage, okay, sorry guys. The last stage is friendship or like some people will call it like mentoring now when your kids are out of the house and now you, you get to engage in a friendship, a mentorship, right? I, mean, I like that with my parents where we absolutely have a friendship that's different. They're still my parents, that never changes. But our relationship is very different. It's much more of a consulting where I get to go to my dad and be like, Dad, what do you think? And he offers me wisdom and so on. It's way further back, way removed from coaching. My dad's not coaching me anymore. But consulting when I ask and, and so on, very thankful for that. And so I cut, if I can do this and then we got to move on fast. Those first stages, you guys, to, like, they're vital. If, you got, if you're a parent with young kids, like, it's vital to be consistent Discipline consistently. Don't let them win. And I'm t- like, you can ask our kids. We, we tell them like, you will not win. I am stronger than you. My will is stronger than your will. And I will win. You can argue. You can fight. You can resist all you want. I'm not going to quit. And when I get close to quitting, I got my backup over here. And she's not going to quit. And by the time she's ready to quit, I'm ready to go again. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, now, am I suggesting we ever did this perfectly? No, not at all. But I will I'll honestly tell you, like, these, we've had these conversations with our kids. You will not win. <sighs> okay. All that because Eli didn't involve himself in his kids' lives. He missed something I'm suggesting to you. And so parents, grandparents, take it for what it's worth. Consider this. Meditate on it. Allow the Lord to speak to you. He goes on in verse 31. I'm sorry, we need to read verse 30. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I indeed, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it for me. And listen to this, for those who honor me, I'll honor. And those who despise me, I will lightly esteem. Where was Eli's heart? Can I say maybe it was in this place of despising. It's what God is saying to him. You, you chose, you honor your sons more than me. And now God is saying, actually, you despise me. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house. That is a figure of speech, to be clear. 
so that there will not be an old man in your house. And when you see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel, there shall not be an old man in your house forever. He's speaking directly to Eli and his descendants after him. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar, I will consume with your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house will die in the flower of their age. Now this will be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they will die, both of them. And then I'm going to raise up for myself, again, God speaking to Eli. It's the man of God speaking to Eli. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he will walk before me, my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please, put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. What in the world is going on here? Let me explain it real quick. This ended up taking place in 1 Kings chapter 2, the fulfillment of this, where God said, I'm going to cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house. Eli, hey man, Sammy, you have that picture of the, like the flow chart of the descendants of Aaron. There you go. It gives you a, just a visual of what actually happened. We're over here with Eli, Hophni, Phineas, and bear with me because there's a lot of crossover with these names. Like they named their kids similar names. It's like us naming our kids John or Steve or Phil or whatever. And so you'll see over here, eventually in 2 Kings, Solomon makes Zadok the priest now, and it's removed from Eli's family. It's just so you know, it actually happened. And so God's word comes true, uh, believe it or not, right? Verse 35 is this beautiful prophecy partially fulfilled in the person of Samuel. I think most commentators will say, you see a partial fulfillment in, in Samuel, where he came and he did, he's a faithful priest who did according to the, what was in the heart of the Lord. You know what else you get, though, is you have this partial fulfillment in Zadok, eventually, who would also do these things. But ultimately, who's this fulfilled in? Jesus, our faithful high priest, who does exactly what's in the Father's heart. Whatever the Father desires, that's what you see him doing. You see this beautiful picture of Jesus all the way back here. Our Savior, the one who is going to take care of us. He will walk before his anointed. He will make intercession for us always. That's what he's doing right now. And so the ultimate fulfillment of that, we see it in Christ. Oh, praise the Lord for that. Okay, Eli did not receive the rebuke of this old man. For example, Eli perhaps could have fallen on his knees and said, God, I am sorry. I repent of what I've done. You don't read about it. You just see, he kind of just is like, okay. And he just, whatever, you know. And he'll actually eventually say that. Not in a necessarily terrible way. Think about David when he was confronted that's repentance. You are that man, right? Nathan lets him have it. You are that man. And David's like, yeah, it is me. Uh, there's something beautiful about that. He had to pay for it. There are consequences to sin. We're going to talk about it in a second. But that's how you respond to a rebuke. You say, all right, you repent. I don't, you don't see about Eli. Weird things, man. Eli, come on. Oh, yeah, we got all kinds of time. <laughs> We're just done with chapter two, you guys. I have to get through chapter eight eventually. Let's see what happens. This is really good story. It's just such a good story. The boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Just to point out in, verse two, in chapter two, verse 27, you know what we do have? 
We do have a man of God that came and spoke on behalf of the God. You also have Hannah. The word of God was rare. King James says it was precious. The word of God was rare in those days. It means it was rare, but it wasn't unheard of, just so you know. But it's an unfortunate thing. This kind of, it's an indictment on the certain culture in the time of the, that time period. The word of God was rare. Consider though, what's going to happen with David and the man who's after God's own heart. I mean, you guys, like he wrote part of the word of God. The word of God wasn't rare in the time of David because he sought after the Lord. He desired the Lord. The word of God isn't even rare today. We have it. Such a different time period that we live in, but people weren't setting their eyes on God. They refused to. This goes back to Judges 21, 25, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes and no one feared the Lord, right? Ah, man, and so we just see this unfortunate thing. It came to pass that in time, Eli was lying down in his place. His eyes had begun to grow so dim they couldn't see. And before the lamp of God went out of the tabernacle, the Lord, I'm sorry, of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the, the Lord, let's notice, the Lord called Samuel. He answered and said, here am I. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. We've seen Eli kind of blow it in his parenting, right? We, we watched that and encouraged you guys to dig in deep with your kids and your grandkids. Dig in. Here we're going to see when God speaks. You have these three major themes throughout tonight. That was the first one. The second one is God speaking. How do you know he's speaking? What's it like? What is God's voice like? We're going to talk about it right now. The Lord called to Samuel, and Samuel said, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go lie down. You guys know that. You guys have been there. You're like, go back to bed. And he went and lay down. The Lord called him again, Samuel. And so Samuel arose and went to Eli. Here I am. You called me. I didn't call you, my son. Go lay down. And notice verse 7. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Now, remember how that was true of Eli's sons? They didn't know the Lord. But they're not knowing the Lord. I want to make a distinction here. There's, them not knowing the Lord was a rejection of God. Eli is just growing up, and he just hasn't been exposed yet to God because it was so rare back then. I don't think he saw it modeled in Eli necessarily. I don't think that Eli was this spiritual giant that people thought he was. He missed out. A man of God had to come to him. God couldn't speak to Eli himself. So it would seem, you know what I mean? What's going on with Eli? Samuel didn't see that, but God's going to sow into Samuel this beautiful heart. Hey, remember, he's got a praying mom, right? And that goes a long way. Appreciate that. He didn't know the word of the Lord. And so the Lord called to Samuel again a third time. He arose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be. If he calls, you got to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he went and laid down. Uh, there was some confusion in that call. Okay, his whole life was ministering to the Lord, right? Samuel's was, but he didn't know the Lord. And I was listening to Joe Foch. I was running this morning and just listening and considering. And he brought up this really good point. I wanted to just share it with you guys how so many of our kids grow up in the church serving the Lord, but not they don't know him. And I'm like, oh, it's just such a good point. I was like the first in my family to, to come out of the world to follow Christ. We grew up going to church, but we were unsaved Christians. 
That was the testimony of my own family in many ways. And so, like, as far as being born again and filled with the Spirit, like, I was kind of right, right there, one of the first. And so I see the freshness of it. My kids have only known, literally, you guys, they've only known Horizon Indy. That's it. They've had two years in St. Kitts, which is a lot of fun. But Asher, Theo, and really Nora, they don't remember any of that. They only know, like, being here. This is it. This is all they know. They've grown up in the service of the Lord, so to speak. But do they know him? Isn't that a huge difference? That we can't rely upon just exposure to do anything about it? No, that's why we got to be involved as parents, right? We got to love our kids. We got to be the aroma of Christ for our kids that they would long for him. It's not enough just to bring them to Awana. They need you <laughs> to, to uh, invest in them. Praise God for our children's ministry and praise God for our youth ministry. But it is not something we can farm our kids out to. That's not the point of our youth ministries. That's not the point of our children's ministries. If you to farm out your kids and say, oh, yeah, they'll take care of the spiritual development of my kids. No, that's you. That's your responsibility. Can we come alongside as a fellowship and supplement and encourage and, and build and, and come along? Absolutely. I surely hope we do. And we do a good job of that, I believe. But hey, this is something where we got to make sure we're not just, you know, sitting back on our laurels like, oh, no, man, they're singing that song. They're singing a worship song. They know. No, not at all. For my kids, worship songs are just songs they know. That's it. They just don't really know any other songs. Meaning that if I hear them singing a worship song, I'm not jumping for joy like, oh, they love the Lord. Like, no, they're just singing a song. That's all they're doing. Now, they could be singing a worship song, and sometimes they do, because they love the Lord, okay? But I don't want us to be lulled to sleep and thinking, oh, we're cool. we got a great church, great children's ministry. No, you've got to be invested in your kids. I mean, the enemy desires to, to just absolutely destroy them. And so you got to fight hard for these kids. I mean, I'm telling you, that's the message for tonight at least. Oh, okay, uh, Samuel's growing. Hey, we're moving along. All right, Lord, help us. Now the Lord came and stood and called at other times, Samuel, and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. The Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. And in that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. I think it's so interesting. God spoke to Eli, and it was like he knows why he's having this judgment. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he didn't restrain them. We get a little bit more of the picture there, don't we? His sons made themselves vile, and he didn't restrain them. God, help us. There's all the hope we could ever need, you guys, is in Christ. Every single bit of it. Would you cry out to him? If there's struggles in your own heart, or like, oh, man, give it up to the Lord and just cry out for his mercy and his grace and his spirit to fill you. He will hear you guys. But that there would be like that, even for this week of prayer and fasting, a doubling down, Lord, I, I've got some work to do. Me personally, that's me speaking. I have work to do. I've got some ground I need to take back. I do personally as it relates to my own children. And it's like, oh man, I've got some ground I got to take back. And so God help me. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, that's where I'm at. He didn't restrain them. Verse 14, and therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli and that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by a sacrifice or offering. Chances are gone for them. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But notice this, Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Why? Because it was not a good vision. And so Samuel, here, or Eli called Samuel and said, hey, my son, here I am. I love that. Here I am. When you hear the Lord speak, it's like, here I am, Lord, you know. Uh, and he said, well, what is the word the Lord spoke to you? Please don't hide it from me. And, and here's, I mean, Samuel's like maybe 12. I'm thinking, like, that's what a lot of people think. Josephus actually writes about Samuel being 12 here. 
Maybe he's 12 years old, and here's this big 98-year-old Eli saying, if you don't tell me, then everything that God told you is going to happen to you. And so you're like 12 years old, like, okay, Eli, what a bum. God, do so to you and more (laughs) if you hide anything from me, if the Lord said. It's like, that's manipulation, just so you guys know. That is manipulation, and that is evil, okay? All right, anyway, then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Isn't that fascinating? What an interesting response. Is there an apathy there in Eli's heart? Is it, are you just, is he truly just like whatever God has, whatever? It just seems interesting. You would think perhaps he would repent. You would think perhaps he would say, oh God, I'm so sorry. Spare my kids because I didn't raise them as I should. Whatever, you know what I'm saying? None of that. There's just this like, well, the Lord said it, whatever seems good to him. It just seems like an odd, apathetic answer. I don't want to read into it too far. It's odd. It's strange to me. Can I point this out real quick as far as hearing from the Lord? Samuel thought that the voice that he heard, potentially, I think, was that of a 98-year-old man. He went to Samuel, or sorry, he went to Eli and said, what's up, Eli? And then Eli's like, I didn't call you. I don't know what that means necessarily, other than like sometimes we might anticipate or think that God will speak with this booming, thunderous voice. It's not what happened with Samuel. Does he speak like that sometimes? Yes. Is that what Paul experienced on his road, the road to a man? Yeah, he did. God spoke and everybody else heard thunder and lightnings, but Paul heard, you know what I mean? No questioning there who that was, but for this, it seems the rule in many ways is this beautiful idea that like Samuel thought it was Eli. Well, who was Eli? Eli was 98 at the time. So just imagine what his voice was like. I don't know. But it's not like this booming thing. It was, I don't know. I, like, I like to think it's gentle. And also note, where did Samuel hear? He heard from a place of resting Things had slowed down. Samuel was resting and he heard the voice of the Lord. Establishing those rhythms where you are still and can hear his voice. Can I encourage you to just dig into that? We're coming up on a week where I want to slow down and I want to hear. Oftentimes I don't hear because I am not listening. And it's as simple as that. It's not complicated. I just don't slow down. <laughs> and so it's just, what's up? There are so many different scriptures I have. I'm just going to roll through them. First Kings 19, there you've got Elisha, Elijah, sorry. And this is where it's the still small voice. Wasn't in an earthquake. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the whirlwind. Where was, this, where was the voice of God? It was in the stillness. You see in Matthew 14 that Jesus goes and gets away by himself and prays and just spends time in silence. You know how loud things were in the mountains in Jerusalem? Not loud. That's how loud they were. Not loud. I go out, you walk out in the woods, it's so peaceful out there, but you know what you hear? You hear the hum of 465 out in the woods. You know, you just can't quite get away from it. You go out to Charles Dean Wilderness, you're in the middle of nowhere, and then you look across and there's a bridge with cars. It's like, ah, how far do I have to go to get away from everything, you know? But Jesus is like, I gotta go. Spend that time of quiet and solitude. Peter went up on the rooftop to pray, to get away from everybody else, to spend time with the Lord. And guess what happens? God speaks to him in one of the most profound and powerful messages ever you'll hear in the New Testament, especially for those of us who are Gentiles, that God is extending salvation to us. 
You know when Peter heard that? When he went up just to get away and hang out with the Lord. Setting time aside to just spend with them. Getting away and unplugging. Guys, come on. Quietness. We find him speaking through his word. You know this stuff. We'll find him speaking through prayer. And then he also will use us. He'll speak through each other. But we'll find that there in the word. You guys know how it is. You're watching football, guys, especially perhaps. And it's somewhat of a stereotype, though I believe it to be very true. I'm watching football, and there's chaos happening in my house. I don't hear a bit of it. I'm being real. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. That's something I want to work on. I don't hear a bit of it. I mean, it's, it is pandemonium, and I'm like, come on, Colts. There, my wife will sit there in astonishment. And she'll accuse me of things I won't speak right now, okay? <laughs> but I'm just going to be honest. I don't hear it. Well, I'm like tuning in, okay? <laughs> I know, right? Well, let's not go there. I'm not saying that, wife. I promise. <laughs> but I'm guilty of it. And I don't want to be like that with the Lord. I don't want to be so, you know, tuned into this piddly little life I have that I miss out on hearing the greatest voice on the planet. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want that. I don't want that at all. I'm just guilty of it, you guys. I, I'm like, here we are in God's word. We're being exposed to this truth. Man, do something about it. Let it penetrate your heart that I want to be just focused on these little things and miss him. This, was ha this is happening in the stillness of his heart. And so can you shut some things off? Can you get into that discipline? Maybe we can do like a week of prayer and fasting. And then during that time, you can get into the discipline of like setting time aside and then maintaining whatever might be good, you know, as the Lord would speak to you. Samuel now was going to have his ministry established. You'll notice it in verse 19. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And, let, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord had revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We are now, just so you know, in, in the context of Samuel, we are transitioning out of Judges chapter 21, verse 25, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Here you have strong and awesome and godly leadership that know the Lord, and it transitions them out of this time of, well, like the dark ages, so to speak. Man, I'm telling you, I think that this is true, certainly for the church, and so I take this super serious thankful for what we have grown up in, having a godly man like Bill and a godly woman like Vi, hearing from the Lord, leading us all these years. I take that seriously. But I also think about it in my own household, how I want to, if there's a need to transition out of these dark ages within the house to where like now all of a sudden, like your family sees you as established in the Lord and all, now everything begins to change. The nation of Israel is going to change slowly and they're going to turn their eyes back to the Lord because of godly leadership and so guys listen that's you men in here that's you allow the Lord to minister to your heart enjoy Jesus abide in him and let him do this work in your household and let it spill out into your workplace ladies you as well let it spill out into your workplaces let it spill out in your communities this beauty of God establishing and knowing him and abiding in him. The Lord was with him. We're not a chance we're doing chapter four. But it's so long. I on it, you could almost summarize it, but I don't want to. I can maybe read it next time and we'll move along. It goes pretty quickly. The ark of God gets captured. Eli dies. 
and then his sons are killed. That Israel's defeated. That's about that sums it up. But we got to be faithful to God's word. It's good to put our eyeballs on it. It won't take super long. But let's pray. Hey, also, I was thinking about this too, and I want to encourage you like this. With the week of prayer, don't get sick of this, please. With the week of prayer and fasting coming up, do pray about it. But I was also thinking a really like a really easy thing to do is this. I want to maybe I could challenge you guys to this. I have some neighbors that I try to minister to, and are in different levels of development and relationship, right? And I was thinking like it would be really easy for me, I guess, if I could say it like that. For me to just send them a text, I text with them. For me to send them a text, or you could call them or knock on me and see them and say, hey, we're doing a week of prayer here at our church. Is there anything I can pray for you guys for during this time? What an easy way to have a spiritual conversation with your neighbors. Really easy. Like, they're not going to get upset about you. In fact, you could probably do this at any point in time. Like, hey, anything I can pray for? That's a really easy ask. And that just begins to develop. You might be led. Share the gospel, man, as the Lord leads but if you're like struggling with developing a relationship like that with your neighbors, and I would really encourage you guys to lean into that as well. An excuse is we got a week of prayer happening at our church. How can I pray for you during this time? Is there anything going on? And just see what happens. And then you, but then be diligent to follow up, right? And now all of a sudden you're in regular maybe conversation with people and can minister to them. <clears throat> so just a little hack there for this week coming up. Consider that. Pray about it. <clears throat> all right, Lord, we're yours ask for your filling of your spirit to walk in these things. And God, I do pray that there would be no heaviness or condemnation, but that we would rejoice in you, knowing that you've given us all we could ever need and it's found in you. If there's areas in our lives where we need to repent, let us repent. If we need to buckle down and be disciplined, Lord Jesus, let us lean into you for the help and for the mercy and the grace in order to do so, and that it would all be something that is driven by a longing to know you. We don't want religion. We want to know you. And so I pray that you would minister to us, that you would encourage and embolden us as believers to go out and deal some damage out for the gospel in the best of possible ways, that see we would see people come to be reborn and to know you, uh, to be new creations, we see lost people won. Lord, would you use us? Prepare us for what you have in store. Make us ready for whatever it is. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, and you're so good, Jesus. We fall on you. We rest. We cast ourselves right there at your feet, and we just rest abiding in you. Teach us to do that. Speak to us. Let us hear your voice. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.